Hi, Ben. This is Carol Sanford, and welcome to me, the Regenerative Business Podcast. Uh, so glad to have you with us. And for I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, the business, and where you are right now these days. Sure. Thanks, Carol. It's, it's a really great opportunity to be here. Really glad to be sharing our story. I'm Ben Kneppers. I'm one of the co-founders of a little company called Boreo. Uh, we're focused on creating innovative solutions to the growing problem of ocean plastic pollution. And where we started with that is by creating Chile's first ever fishing net collection recycling program, what we now call Net Positiva. Chile, uh, fishing nets make up 10% of the ocean's plastic pollution. And what we set up through Net Positiva is a way to partner directly with those fishermen, prevent the waste from getting into the ocean by collecting it back and where we can then recycle it and make positive products out of it. Right now, we're right in the middle of doing a pretty large uh, collection run. We're, we're planning to do 50 tons of fishing nets in the next two months. That's absolutely amazing. Now, who are you selling all this stuff to, or who is the community? The community is, I guess, the one doing some of that. Tell me where the kind of flow goes to in terms of users of what you're doing, because you got to have a market, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So everything starts with the fishing community. So um, we work from with the largest commercial fishing companies, to the very smallest artisanal fishing syndicates, um, where we partner directly with them and we offer them really the business of uh, collecting back their nets when they meet their end of life. Normally, especially in the case of very small fishing syndicates, this material is getting discarded in the, the natural environment really because they haven't had another outlet for it. And now what we can do is we can incentivize them by buying back that material from them and where we then collect it. We, we train up a team of local workers that manage that collection uh, where we can then recycle this material and make new products. And that's where Boreo comes in. Currently, we have a line of skateboards and sunglasses that's made um, all from these fishing nets we're sourcing directly here from these communities in Chile. And what's happening to the revenues that come out of those sales from the recycling of the nets? So we work with a, a shared value business model. We're a certified B Corp. We're also a member of 1% for the planet. Um, and really what we try to focus on doing is, is the fact that we're upcycling this material uh, that was once considered a waste. We're creating this higher value for it. And with that, we can incorporate part of this profit to go back into these communities. So the deal we have worked out is for every kilo that we receive, rather than, you know, maybe paying some boss that, that owns a big successful fishing company, we've worked it out to actually have that money go directly back to the community. So we partner with local NGOs that have real grassroots efforts on the ground already active in these areas. And they work with those communities in each of these fishing communities and find other ways we can use this money to prevent other sources of waste. Uh, we've done projects like a community composting center. We've installed new recycling poles at local primary schools. And we're also working with, uh, currently I'm just outside an all-women's uh, recycling syndicate to help empower them on how they can scale up their efforts. That's, that's very exciting. Um, I mean, as you well know, uh, the Regenerative Business Summit um, and the prize that we did, the Regenerative Business Prize, was reviewed by nine or eight uh, quite well-known 
uh, persons who were in the business world, those judges deemed that Burio was worthy of uh, being one of our honorees. And the reason for that was that they, they said that you were on a path, not that you've done everything you're ever going to do or that you were the winner over everybody else, but they could see that you had a high level of intention you had a high level of effort, you were beginning to produce results, and they believed that long-term there would be greater effects. And so we wanted to interview you so that people could know more about that. So I'm gonna ask you to tell me a little bit about each of those four things I just said. The first was, what is the intention of this group? There Certainly there is for you, but the intention for the communities long-term above and beyond the um, upcycling of the material itself. What's your intention for the community and for your business? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, first off, it, it's, I, it's worth mentioning. It was a huge honor for us to, to receive this award. I mean, especially the long days we have uh, working very remotely in these communities, you, you tend to ask yourself uh, how, you know, if, is it really worth doing this? And, and certainly we have a long way to go, but it feels really uh encouraging that that to get this kind of recognition lets us know that yes we are doing the right things and we are on a good path here and uh, we certainly intend to keep going with that and going much above and beyond um with respect to the communities we're working with uh i mean especially in the case of the artisanal ones uh we're, we're seeing a lot of changes uh in the, in the past several many, many of these communities have generation of generation of fishermen working here. And what we're seeing now is, it, is it's finally starting to change. Uh, this next generation coming up, is, 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 it's good news to see that they're getting better education, um, but, um, but it's also leading them to, to move on to different ways of making a living. Um, and, and that's where uh, you're seeing more ecotourism stepping up and um, more types, alternative sources of, of income coming in for ways of making a living. Um, what we can, what we really hope we can do is support that transition by showing there's ways to uh, do things in a, in a more sustainable, regenerative way. Um, we're, you know, certainly not saying that we're going to encompass all the solutions for these communities, um, but we just want to show, shed some light on there are, are there are new and, and innovative and positive ways of doing things and getting them to look at these things differently. A lot of these communities overall are plagued with just plastic pollution in general. And we're seeing on the ground how they're starting to look at these materials differently and what else can they do beyond just the fishing net. So ultimately, what I'd love to see is, is truly a regenerative community where there's no longer um, streams of waste. It's all streams of resources and it's streams of making other ways of living and actually really nourishing these places that, quite frankly, have some of the most beautiful natural environment around them, but suddenly are uh, definitely plagued with, with these, these different waste streams and currently don't have very good solutions for them. So uh, let me re reflect back to you. What I hear one of the higher order intentions is that you have are two kind of combined. One is bringing hope where there has been hopelessness, you know, a sense where you can't do anything. And coupled with that is become self-determining about your own future. Is that within the ballpark of how you describe it? Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely the case. Uh, I, I would love to see that being part of us is, is giving these people hope, you know, showing that there's there there are ways that we can we can resolve these issues that just seem to be, you know, always per, either permanent or impossible 
or however you want to look at them, instead starting to realize these are not instead of problems, but opportunities. That's great. Uh, And of course, one of the seven principles we have is moving away from thinking everything as problems or coming from ideal and actually looking at the unique local place. And what is the that is uh, the potential there for people to grow, for them to be self-determining? So again, this is one of the reasons that you were honored, that we felt like you were paying attention to that beyond just, not I shouldn't say just, beyond cleaning up something that clearly is an ecological disaster if it isn't worked on, but if you don't work on the community uh, and its own self-determination, then it wouldn't stick. It'd just be you coming in as a do-gooder from outside. So I I wanted people to hear a little bit of that. Let me um, add uh, a couple other questions here. So intention is one thing. Then if you're trying to make them some more self-determining and bring more hope into their worldview of what's possible, what are the specific way you go about doing your endeavors? So I, I think we've got a bit of a hint about what you do, but how do you do it in a way that you make them self-determining, not you being the rescuer from the great, you know, white north? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's really about empowering these people. I mean, ultimately, we want this to become their business, um, obviously speaking to specifically about our actions. But uh, but what it's about is, you know, we we really you you sit quite simply. You can't just come in and say, oh, you've got fishing nets. We'll take them. We'll recycle them. It's really about building long term relationships. Um, they they a lot of these communities do get a lot of do get approached um, in, in a fairly significant amount of time by these, you know, these different environmental groups promising them the world to do stuff. And it's really about showing that you're really going to stand behind and straight, stay true to your commitments and actions. And when we've been able to show that by actually, you know, residing with these fishermen, making daily visits, weekly visits um, to these points, it shows our commitment to them. And then that's where we start to get their trust. The next level is then working alongside them where we're now starting to, I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest priority for the majority of the people we work with is how can they make a living and how can they provide for their family? So before we can start thinking about anything else, it's really about, you know, addressing that with them. And now that we're starting to really grow the program and looking instead of getting a few thousand, you know, two thousand kilos of nets, we're now looking to 10 to if not hundreds of tons of fishing nets. There's a real opportunity to employ a significant amount of people here and, and have them, you know, work alongside not only preventing this waste, but also making a good living. Um, and that's the next step we're starting to take with that is, is to allow them to, uh, to realize this isn't just a feel good thing. This is actually a real opportunity to make a living. And, and with that step, uh, we're starting to see uh, them certainly embrace this and feel um, very engaged and, and really active with, with what we're doing. But not only that, already starting to talk about, you know, what else can we do? What other things can we recycle? What other opportunities are there for other stuff we can take action with um, beyond the fishing nets? And, and that's really, really encouraging to see um, that, that uh, they're taking it that far because that's, at the end of the day, none of this is going to work um, unless they really take, take this action on their own. So we have seven principles that we were looking at relative to your work. Uh, And of course, we had, you know, hundreds of others who were interested in this prize as well. 
And one of the uh, the things that the judges saw, and I'd like for you to give us a little more specifics about how your endeavors do this. They saw you were really working with the uniqueness of a place. You really were looking at what's here. Who are these people? What do they value? How is it they make decisions? And how do we join with that potential rather than try and embed or impose the worst our way of working? How do you connect with making sure you're really working with the potential of those folks and their unique place? Well, I mean, at, at the, the end of the day, these are fishing communities. So they certainly recognize this being not the lifeblood of their community. Ben, not all fishing communities are alike. <laughs> you know I'm not going to let you get away with that, right? So it is a fishing community. There we go, yeah. But it's unique. What's unique about this place? And how do you make sure you connect with that? I mean, beyond the fact that they they subside, the majority of these communities subside on, on the act of fishing, they're truly beautiful areas of the world. And they know that this material is an eyesore and it's a burden to manage. And they know that by leaving it in these places, they're taking away from, from their own beauty. Um, and so by the obvious connection of just saying, we can now do something and get just simply getting it out of there is a huge relief for them because in best case scenario, they have to pay to remove this stuff. And now we're not only uh, not having them pay, but we're paying them. So all around, it, it's a great win. So the fact that they connect with the beauty, they, they appreciate the importance of preserving that marine environment because it's the lifeblood of their community. Uh, we're now supporting all of the above by dealing with a waste that was really plaguing it. Right. So I think there, I want to push this just one more level, if you'll let me, because that again is a problem that's there. But these people have a history that in this little watershed they're in, because there are fishing communities around the world, but this particular community has its own story. Uh, and I don't know how far or how big that watershed is that it's in, but the native peoples who've been there for millennia were fishermen, but they also related this place in a different way. Do you know any of the stories and are you able to connect to any of the stories of the people that go back for millennia there? Gosh, well, I mean, the, the native people of the area are the Mapuche, but they, they're not the ones that are really the ones existing in these communities. Um, they're a bit more inland. So the ones that I have interacted with are, I'd say, the furthest that go back, I, I know a few fishermen that would say go about four generations back of fishermen in these, these communities. But, I mean, beyond that, when you're getting into the stories of the area, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you, we, I haven't been able to get that deep, no. That would be a great thing, and in terms of when we say to our honorees, we look forward to you doing even more, what we find is you can really regenerate a community when you connect it to its own history, and especially the higher yeah. order nature of it, whether it did something like, I mean, that part of the world actually had pieces broke off centuries ago and are now actually part of North America up in Canada. Uh, I don't know whether those people are aware of that. I have found it in other places in Chile and in Peru that there is this link and, you know, the eagle and the condor. I think it might be fun for you to start to get them to tell stories and then begin to look at how you connect this work that you're doing right now and help them see that it's a part of the way they have always been for probably millennia. 
Um, anyway, mm. it can be a next step for you, and it enlivens the community to reconnect with their own history, and it also prevents it from being um, an, an imperial uh, idea if we bring mm. it a way to do something. What do you think of that idea? I love it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great piece of advice. I'm definitely going to get further into that. Okay, so that's part of what we're trying to do with the Regenerative Business Summit and the prize is to say we honored you because you we believe the intentions you've chosen and many of the endeavors are really moving the world and to offer you what we see you can do that could even be a next exploration in terms of what you do with the regeneration principles because it you have to do some of this to move beyond sustainability to do just less harm and you're already talking that way you're already talking about moving toward opportunities or as we would say shift it to thinking about potential so let me ask you some more questions because i know there's some other great things you're doing i know that you're beginning to get some results so that things are paying off for the community they're paying off for the business who decided to support this uh they're even going to pay off for retailers who are partnering with you tell us a little bit about that and what are the results going to look like in terms of reciprocity for the community for your business and for those who are partnering with you that's the, the exciting point we're at now is i mean i i mean i think the first big great achievement is that we're able to uh you know finance, uh, we're able to keep the lights on and, and have a, have salaries for, for our team to make a living simply off of, you know, the, the production and sale of, of our, of our line of skateboards and sunglasses. So that already in itself has been, been a great deal of work. And, and it's, uh, but, but the nice thing is, is to see the response back, um, from the industry uh, it, you know, so many times you look at how you could have cut a corner in, in, the, in making your product and, and we really stayed true to not trying that any step of the way. And now it's really paying off by getting the feedback from retailers and even direct customers appreciating how well made this stuff is. It's not just a gimmick of something made from a recycled material, but actually it's a really good skateboard. It's a really good pair of sunglasses. Um, on the other side of it, uh, I'm really proud to report we now have financed our fifth community project solely generated from the fishing nets we've received. So um, again, from day one, we made it our model to incorporate part of the value um, that we're getting from this, these products that are going to be made that are made from these fishing nets to be allocated back into those communities. And because of that the growth of, of the amount of nets we've needed to make our products and, and develop new products. Um, we've now generated five pro community projects solely on the funds from the fishing nets. Um, so on both ways, it's really seemed to um, been showing success and traction. And, and with that, it's allowing it to snowball even further where now that we're going back into those communities and implementing these projects, they're even more engaged to want to participate even more and, and be even more conscious of, of appropriately returning their nets at end of life. And at the same time, our customers and, and our retailers are, are seeing traction with our story. The power of a story in the market, not just having a, a product, another product. You know, a lot of these markets are flooded, especially in, in the outdoor uh, industry space. Uh, but something that really has a story to it, um, I, we're seeing really, really resonate well. And now... It's about what else can we do? What else can we make? And that's, that's where we're getting to now. It's getting, starting to come to a reality, which is really exciting for us. 
So you're giving, uh, this is a really good example of the third principle, which we use to assess the nominees, which is, is there reciprocity that's multidimensional? So it's not just a bargain that you make in a contract between you and the local community or you and a uh, retailer. What you're doing is really looking all the way out into the consumer. You're looking at how you need to behave, work, invent, how you need to work with the community. And so that multidimensional reciprocity that is not uh, transactional is a really important part of regeneration because you can do if you're doing just sustainability, you can reduce harm, but it tends to be within one arena and doesn't produce what you just said. In order to make that a little clearer, I'm going to ask you to follow up with just a little bit more on what are the nature of the five projects and what are they doing to make a community whole and, as you said earlier, more self-determining. Yeah, so with those five projects, um, as I mentioned before, we partnered directly with these um, local nonprofit organizations that really kind of share a similar mission uh, to us. They work in, in the environmental space um, on education, waste management, recycling, um, and and a lot of capacity training. Um, what they've done is is um, I, kind of going back to like staying away from this this imperial influence. Is uh, we really kind of just leave them to it. They know what we're about. They know what our project is, and and they're they're happily. To partner, happy to partner with us, especially how these the way this money is generated uh, is through waste prevention and protecting the environment. Um, but but beyond that, we really leave it up to them and the community. So um, certainly, it naturally comes about that the money ends up going towards other ways of preventing waste, um, which is great. But we really leave it up to them. So the community. Um, leaders get invited out to a workshop led by the local NGO um, where they basically just educate them on, on what's going on uh, and they kind of have some preliminary assessment of their community, but really just workshop shop it out with the community um, to, to see what they want to do. And, and it's actually, I think, gonna, is the way we're getting, why we're getting such good results is because when they upon themselves decide what community project they want to create it's getting them to take full ownership of it so we just uh implemented a community composting center uh where the the, the women in the community were recognizing food waste to be a very large issue and now they have five composting points across the community um and those are actively managed and it's been a very successful project really because it was uh those were the people that that devised it and uh, also, we have an all-women's recycling syndicate. Uh, they were recycling mainly cardboard and plastic bottles. And uh, we offered through the NGO, they identified them as, as really having potential but could go further. So they, they gave them a um, two-month uh, series of workshops to train them on how to increase their capacity, all in different areas of, of environmental policy that's up and coming that can really affect their business too legal matters to actual business planning, modeling, um, and all these different facets that are critical to how they can grow their business. And they were very skeptical at first uh, to if they were going to turn up and, and really make it out to these workshops. And the attendance has been almost 100% every single workshop. Um, and again, it was really because they took ownership of this and they really wanted to run with it. So 
as much as I, I would want to try to focus on preventing other forms of ocean plastic or getting into something specific, I've really kind of led it to them to see what they want to do with this, the, these funds. And, and I think that's been getting us, that's been getting us really good results. Do you have any way that you actually build some basic skills they need or develop their business acumen or their operational acumen? I mean, you said you kind of leave them alone. One of the principles of regeneration is that we see everything as a developmental opportunity. So it isn't just, here's an opportunity. It is an opportunity we could grow people, grow their capacity. And it sound, I'm wondering if you do anything beyond just get out of their way. Well, certainly when it comes to the side of the business where um, we're, we're training local workers to manage the collection and cleaning and, and getting the nets basically ready from collection to final ready, clean, packed, ready for recycling, um, all of that model is basically for them, just as they collect, they catch fish and sell the fish per kilo, this is an opportunity to capture these nets wash and pack these nets and, and provide it to Boreo per kilo. And it, so it, what it allows them to do is, is be creative in their own right. We're here to facilitate and show them the process and train them. And we invest in whatever resources are necessary to, to do the appropriate work to, to get the job done. But at the end of the day, what we really want to see this is as them looking at their own business, as their own opportunity yeah. to, uh, to make a, really good stream of income by by taking ownership of this part of you know by managing the nets from this community is theirs and this is their opportunity to succeed and 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 make a good business for them because simply at the end of the day we're there to to acquire those nets definitely support them all along the way but at the end of the day it's really just about us acquiring uh the nets from them so um, one more question in this arena, as you know, as a businessman who has had to learn not only how to uh, work with fishing nets and do the operational side, but you've had to learn how to manage earnings, margins, cash flows, strategic choices, what you're going to do with who the customers are going to be, what's the business model. What I'm thinking is that sounds like the next level of skill you have to give them because just knowing how to do the operational side will not make them long-term business people. But you you may be doing some of that. Are you doing some of that or would that be a next level of ability to transfer your business acumen? Yeah, I would say, I would say it's going to be next level. I mean, like I said, we've only been doing, uh, you know, the first year we did it, uh, uh, maybe about five tons. The second year was 10 tons. Last year was 30 tons. Now is finally this really big breakthrough year where we're looking to do, I'd say about 200 tons is our goal. Um, so this is where we can really get to these big numbers rather than just being a supplementary income where we need them for a couple months, but instead being uh, a solid stream of, of, um, of a source of, of, to make a really good living for themselves. So I definitely say that that's that next level is, is that we're going to get into is, um, is seeing how they can take it a step further. What we can do to invest in better um, maybe equipment or, or infrastructure to, to improve this even further and alongside make, make their jobs even more effective. 
So I'm thinking there's a next opportunity for you to grow here also, because to be regenerative, your own development has to continue. I just did a radio program on a New York program called Revenue Chat, which was talking about what the three core drivers are that you have to understand. And they're related to earnings, margins, and cash flow. But if you do it the traditional way, it becomes extractive, right? So we have, we extract earnings from people. We extract bigger margins. We extract revenue. But there is a way to be regenerative about that. And that has more to do with understanding what really produces revenue long term. And it's not extraction. You lose your customers. It's much more about creating the qualitative characteristics and the operational effectiveness that allow people to see enormous value. Your organization may even have an opportunity now to grow more of your understanding. Because one of the things I see small businesses, particularly tiny businesses do, is they start to grow, they start to get good at the operational side or the business idea they had, but they don't actually always understand what it takes to um, to grow a business and to grow it responsibly. So it might be fun also if that's the place you're growing and you do it as a way to know you're going to help. They have to learn that because you won't be there forever. Probably you'll move on to another fishing community and another one. Um, what do you think about that as a place you grow and then you can help them grow? Absolutely. Yeah. It's something I think about a lot. I mean, just like you said, uh, you know, we're going to need to start to look at growing and and going, moving on to other areas. And and with that, you need to make sure that these people are in good hands and and they, they, they're able to continue thriving with, with what you've left behind. Um, So that's definitely something I'm, I'm starting to think about more and more. And, and I, I uh, definitely, especially you bringing it up now is, is reminding me uh, how important that is. I mean, at the end of the day, these relationships are the lifeblood of, of our community. If these people, if we're not succeeding on this side, uh, then we're not going to be getting the net successfully and therefore we're not going to be having our business. So, you know, not to put it into necessarily business terms, but it is kind of a, I'd rather say it's a beautiful thing that we have to depend on the importance of these relationships and how well these people are succeeding with the work to, to see that that's, that's the way we're going to succeed as a business. Well, you don't want to put it in extractive business terms. You want to put it in regenerative business terms because business is a beautiful thing. When it is understood to be in full reciprocity, it is understood to be inventive for uh, multidimensional, everyone benefiting, all the stakeholders benefiting. And if they don't have the business sense, then sometimes they fall into a mindset of we have to have very little. And it's very hard to stay healthy. But I'm excited about that you want to learn more about that so you can help them learn. And then we can actually make business not just a viability thing, but an evolutionary thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I totally agree. The uh, the last question that I have for you, well, next to last, the uh, is you do have to make decisions all the time about how you spend energy. We say that when you're working regeneratively, you always have to look for the nodes of where something is likely to change. One effort is likely to change a lot. I think that you saw this particular endeavor as a nodal way to bring about a change in community. You were not out, you're not a fishing net expert. You're not a recycling plastics expert. You were really saying, we want to build whole communities. We want to build something that helps them become viable, self-determining, as we said. How did you know this was a node 
that working with these recycled, and it wasn't just because you saw a lot of them, because you had to see how you were going to do something with them. How did that thinking happen that lets you choose this place to work? As calculated and as, as uh, sharp I was in, in strategizing all this, I, I have to be honest and say it was really just a, a very serendipitous and organic process. Um, it was just really about... Um, before all this, working as an environmental consultant, not seeing the change I was expecting, I was starting to get to a level high enough where I thought I could make enough influence to change some major things. And I just wasn't seeing the change. And, and quite frankly, I was getting a little impatient with, with how critical the time is right now. And I just wanted to do something real, something tangible. And fortunately, from the background of life cycle assessment, working in LCA consulting, um, I got a really good taste of uh, understanding what they call those hotspots, those really critical areas of, you know, maybe the life of a product. You've got two or three, maybe four spots in the life cycle of it that are really the problem areas. And it just so happened to be working um, on a life cycle assessment for the wild caught fishing industry where I came across this waste stream issue where I was struck by this number. 10% of the ocean's plastic pollution was discarded fishing gear. And again, serendipitously, I was, you know, as I do, I go to the coast on the weekends and seeing it firsthand all across Chile. I couldn't believe it. A lot, everywhere I was going to visit these fishing communities, they, you asked them what they do with the nets and they really didn't have a solution. They were chucking them in the sea and, and burning them on the beach. And so that all just really kind of came together to spark that passion that was burning inside me already and now here's something really tangible that, that, you know, again, I was not a fishnet expert. I was not a recycling expert, I, but I did have an engineering background. I did have a good, good sense of what could be done here, and it, it seems tangible. And again, combining that with my two partners, definitely worth mentioning, one being a finance background that really could build a business model around this idea, and the other being a, a design engineer from Boeing that could really, when we came to the idea of making products out of it, um, brought together the expertise we needed to make this a reality. Um, so as much, again, as much as I'd like to say it was, it was all perfectly planned out, it really was organic. So we just started with one syndicate we got introduced through, through World Wildlife Fund Chile. Um, they, they offered us the opportunity to, to work with their discarded fishing gear. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. It was, it was very organic. We got some press in Chile. Um, that got the attention of, of fishermen across the country. We started naturally just getting reached out to them saying, we have a waste problem here, come here to work here. And then one thing led to another and uh, come to find out Concepcion, the region I'm in now of Bio Bio, uh, it's the biggest fishing activity of Chile. So it just naturally kind of brought me here. And But uh, it, it, it's been a pretty, uh, pretty fortunate process of every turn of the way um, you know, we, you definitely make make wrong turns, but that's just opportunity to learn. But but it's all just kind of shaped itself from just a, a, a drive that I had with my other two partners to do something real, tangible that was going to be something of a change. So I want to make it clear, just for your own future, that planning is not what finding nodes is about. It's seeing. What you did is because of all your background and what you had seen that wasn't working and where you got hints. You could see something when it showed up was the right place to go. 
I don't think you can go plan for that. I think it is much more a different way of seeing the world. That's why we say regeneration is a different paradigm than the traditional way, which would be planning and saying, what shall we do? No, you're using a lifetime of building, and then you walk into a place, and you begin to see, and you say, my goodness, this could do so much more than all the way we do things. So I, for people who are listening to this podcast, I just don't want them to assume that no finding nodes, this really highly leveraged way to enter, is about the old traditional way. It is exactly what you did. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, and it, it's really, you know, very encouraging to hear that kind of feedback, especially from you, Carol. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I really agreed with the judges when they selected you. I saw you on a path. I saw you with the right kind of intentions, already having endeavors. And we know that when we selected people, that we want to stay connected to supporting them and we want to hear more good things. So that's why you're not only getting an interview so I can tell people your great story, but we can help them see what it would mean to grow by watching how you're going to grow. So I appreciate that you're so open, and uh, I just am very excited about learning so much more soon. Um, I do know that people are going to want to know more about you, so the very last question I have is, what's the best way to stay in touch? And that could be your website. I don't know whether you do newsletters. How can people stay in touch with you? Yeah, I think the best way, I mean, is really just checking us out online, visiting our website, bureo.co. So it's B-U-R-E, sorry, B-U-R-E-O dot C-O. Uh, and we have a mailing list. We, we give our, our live updates there. And uh, with that, it's all tied into our blog, our social media activity. Um, but really, best way to go is visit our website and sign on to our email list because we... Uh, the next six months are going to be big for us. There's a lot, of, a lot of exciting things happening that we've been working very hard, and they should be coming to fruition pretty soon. Great. That's very exciting. Thank you so much. Talk to you again. Okay. Thanks, Carol.